Hey, Raleigh, great news. Wow, you are buzzing. What's up, Nicole? I just figured out how to save the environment and make a little scratch doing it. Okay, uh, I assume that means money. You ever hear about these investments called ESGs? <sighs> yeah, they're green and they're going to make our wallets green, too, with money. Okay, Nicole, I'm legally required to tell you this is not investment advice, but I have some immediate investment advice. Nicole, I am very excited about today's episode because we finally get to talk about a thing I've been looking at for weeks, and they are ESGs. Are you excited? I'm super excited because they make food extra delicious. Oh, Nicole, that's salt and pepper. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you were talking about MSG. Yes. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ESG. In all seriousness, surely you've heard this. This bandy Yeah. Divide. ESG stands for what? Environment, society, and governance? Something like Very that? Very close. Social. Social. And then the G is for governance, but it's corporate governance. Got it. So in environment, social, and corporate governance. Yeah. And what does ESG mean, do you think? So I think the way that I've seen it referred to is like rather than corporations being driven by a bloodlust for profit at all costs, mm -hmm. now they also have to consider the broader impacts of their policies on the world and how they can use their power as mega corporations or small corporations, I suppose, to like make the world a little bit better. Okay. Great answer. Thank you. 10 out of 10. I will say most people will disagree with you. What? That's right. But only because there is no consensus on what ESG means. Mm -hmm. It's an empty box and people pile their own baggage into it. What's in the box? What's in the box? And it is not your wife's head, Nicole. <laughs> it is whatever the fuck you want to be in the box. Mm -hmm. And there are so many definitions of what ESG is or could be that no majority agrees. Mm, so okay. no matter what you said, <laughs> I had that queued up. I was ready to blast <laughs> you with that. But you did have a very good answer. Because that you. is what some people think it is. Mm -hmm. And because it's got no consistent definition, you're just as right as anybody else. Yes. Um, however, that also means that Laura Ingram is just as right as anybody oh, else. No. Um, so let's listen to what she has to say about ESGs. And at the same time, these corporate execs are spooning with China. <laughs> They're also actively working to hurt U.S. productivity and competitiveness. They do this by agreeing to adopt ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Those are standards, supposedly, for their business operations, except they're not really standards at all. The man leading the charge here is BlackRock blowhard and pro-China stooge Larry Fink. Now, he's already made his billions, so now it's time for him to remake the world. But if we are going to change the world, we must change the charters of the IMF and the World Bank, or we're, or we're not going to get there. There's just not, there's just not enough capital. It is estimated to decarbonize the emerging world is a trillion dollars a year. We're talking maybe a hundred billion dollars is moving into the, in the emerging world. And so if we're really serious about the notion of moving the world faster, 
lot of cuts. <laughs> They're really <laughs> stitching it together. Also, I will say that Chiron says double trouble bowing to China and the ESG scam. Wow. So they're really they're really cramming some of the greatest hits into one shot. All right, let's keep going. It has to be done in a, in a way that we're bringing all the governments together. Now listen carefully. Do you hear China and India laughing? Because I do. We're dealing with a self-created energy crisis right now in Europe and also a global recession. And this guy thinks that we're going to crawl out of it by bankrupting ourselves, further kneecapping oil and gas. He's not he's not curtailing his private jet use. I can tell you that right now. Do you think it's in her script that says hold for laughs? (laughs) Do you think that's why she keeps pausing or it's like the teleprompter hasn't caught up? I think it is simply that she knows that her audience is going to be stomping around their house steaming mad and she needs to give them a chance to calm down after every sentence or they might miss something. Wow. The entire ESG scheme is a complete fraud and the result will be the destruction of our energy independence, radical changes they're planning to our food supply and the creation of what ultimately will be something akin to a racial and ethnic caste system. The free enterprise system that made us the most powerful nation on earth was based on objective merit and a strong work ethic. And a healthy investment from my father. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this helps smash all of that. ESG's trickle-down effect on American workers is disastrous, and the left will always want more concessions. Okay, so to Laura Ingram and sort of the right wing of this delicate eagle we've based our country on... (laughs) ESGs are a green scam to destroy our corporations with woke capitalist cuck lib (laughs) coastal elite beta energy. Okay. And I don't want to be accused of cherry picking here. So I got another clip for you and it's not the same level of panic. It's four to five times higher. So let me just go ahead and (laughs) pop this off here. ESG investing is socialism in sheep's clothing. This is the challenge of your generation. Andy Puzder is a conservative commentator and fellow at the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank in Washington. He once ran the fast food titans Hardee's and Carl's Jr. My father's generation's challenge was the Nazis, who, by the way, were, of course, uh, very proud socialists. Uh, The challenge of my generation was the communists, who were, of course, very committed socialists. The challenge of your generation is ESG investing. And it's more insidious than communism or the Nazis. More insidious than communism or the Nazis is ESG investing, Nicole. Well, if Carl Sr. says it, then I got to believe him. (laughs) All of his restaurants are his children? Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) These are my sons, Carl Jr. and Hardy. (laughs) Um, So this is the party line, right? Mm -hmm. We're getting like ESGs are the absolute worst thing. They're going to destroy capitalism. They're going to destroy America. You remember those communists who are socialists? (laughs) (laughs) You remember those Nazis who are also socialists? It's just they are at a full 10 on ESG. So that is is what the right wing thinks about them. Mm -hmm. A lot of millennials and people who are- That's me. Hell yeah. People who are investing in ESGs, they believe they're putting their money in companies that are doing good for the planet. Mm -hmm. They are rapidly decarbonizing against their profit margins, maybe. They are 
taking all their money out of oil and gas and putting it all in solar and wind and things that they think are going to bring about the green revolution. Most people who are invested in ESGs say that their priority is the E or environment. Mm -hmm. And most people whose priority E or the environment, that priority is actually climate change, according mm -hmm. to Professor Kelly Shu of the Yale School of Management. Ooh. Okay, so ESG loosely stands for environmental, social, and corporate governance. And they are criteria with which investors invest their money. That's as loose of a definition as I can give you without getting it wrong according to one of the groups. Gotcha. Conservatives think it means companies that give up all their money to help the environment or companies that fire their board of directors and put like all women on the board are going to get a great social score. So mm -hmm. they got great ESG scores. That's what conservatives think it is. They think it's going to destroy the American economy. Millennials who are sort of starry-eyed and they want to invest money so that they can one day hope to put one down payment on a house when they <laughs> die at the age of 90, they are investing in ESGs because they think they are environmentally friendly and that their money will both help the environment and also earn them money. Uh -huh. So these are, these are kind of the two groups that are talking past each other. Now, investment firms have a completely different understanding of what ESG means. Mm -hmm. And it's actually maybe the most important understanding because they're the ones who are actually putting together these ESG funds. Yeah, they're ESing the G. That's right. They're Eing <laughs> they're Eing that S all G. <laughs> um and She E my S till I G. <laughs> Um, so they're actually putting together these funds. This is a video from BlackRock. It's about their ESG portfolio. We're just going to watch it and see kind of where you might, as an investor, get the idea that ESG funds are positive for the environment. Okay. Regardless of your views on the future, long-term success is one goal that unifies all investors. BlackRock believes that investments that consider E, S, and G metrics can help you pursue long-term success of your portfolio and contribute to a more sustainable world. You you said that this sort of implied that ESGs were helping the environment, mm -hmm. and I would say that this explicitly states that ESGs are helping the environment. I mean, it seems to to somebody who who is already willing to believe that ESGs might be environmentally friendly. Yeah, I think that is an easy connection to make. Mm -hmm. They have a little earth. They're like, we can help the earth become more sustainable. Hard cut to a full page of fine print. Yeah, fine print, <laughs> wherein you will find some interesting information. Now, you don't judge how somebody's doing by looking at their Instagram page. I do. You do. Yeah. Have you ever run across a scenario where <laughs> you've seen somebody posting a lot of fun pictures on Instagram and then you've run into them and then they are doing terribly? Yes. Pretty frequently, I would say. I would say more often than not. Yeah. And that is how ESGs are. <laughs> ESG is a marketing scam. To ESG get... is a woman going through a divorce who's posting like her prom photos from high school. That's exactly right. And it's even a little worse than that. It is, I would say it's as insidious as the Nazis. <laughs> okay, I actually wouldn't say that, but a modern day Abraham Lincoln one time said that, and I've been quoting him. No, it's not, it's not as insidious as the Nazis. It's just how investment firms work. It's as insidious as any other financial mechanism. That's right. So you don't look at the person's Instagram page to determine how they're doing. We don't look at how ESGs are marketed or what people are saying about ESGs to determine what they are. We can just go straight to investment firms and ratings agencies to see what ESGs really mean. Mm -hmm. And do they mean that 
it's trying to kneecap the American economy and force us back into the dark ages because we're spooning China so hard. <laughs> and I think you'll find that the answer is a firm no. According to actual investment firms who use ESG standards in their investment, ESG investing is simply, is this company looking at environmental, social, or governance factors to determine risks to their business and determine how they're going to maintain longer profitability. That's all it is. Got it. So it's not that companies are using ESG to like have an effect on the world. ESG is not something that companies do. ESG are potential things that can happen to a company. That's right. It's are you as a company reacting to environmental problems in a way that's going to allow you to stay profitable. Got it. That still sounds pretty sensible to me. Not only is it sensible, it's what companies have to do. <laughs> Investment firms are legally required to be a fiduciary or to protect your investment. And uh -huh. so what they've got to do is look at risks to your money and manage your money in a way that reduces the risks and maximizes the returns. Got it. That's like their whole job. That's all they do. That's all they can do because they're <laughs> legally required to do that. Yeah. And companies want to get a little bit of an edge. So they're using extra risk profiles and they're like, hey, there are certainly more risks posed to companies based on the potential of decarbonization in the future, based on environmental disasters that are spiking all over the place, based on social unrest that new social movements are creating. Why don't we factor these risks into how our company is operating and maybe that'll give us a little extra special sauce so that we can win capitalism a little better. Hmm, okay. That's what ESG is all about. Okay. I mean that as a as a consumer of financial products, uh good. Fine. <laughs> yep, it's fine. It just doesn't save the environment. It's not stopping climate change. It's just uh, it has the letter E in it, so it's mm -hmm. it says the word environmental as part of the risk profile so people sort of equate that to being environmentally friendly and then that's kind of how it's marketed so hold on a second so you said that it's it's not saving the environment but when i think about things like environmental risk mm -hmm. i think like well one of the best ways for companies to reduce their environmental risk is to like you know reduce their dependence on fossil fuels for example sure, sure. is it not having that effect it um, To some degree, it's having that effect. A company that is, hey, I'm going to swap out all of my fleet with electric vehicles. You might get a little bump in your environmental score because there's a pretty strong possibility that further regulations are coming down the pike and that internal combustion engine vehicles might cost you more or that gas prices oh, might but spike. So you're getting the E benefit of the ESG because it might ultimately cost your company more to use fossil fuel vehicles, not because your use of electric vehicles will contribute to reducing climate change. That's right. Okay. There is Got a it. positive other effect to some of the companies getting good e-scores. But that's not why that's they're not doing the it. That's not the point okay. of the ESG. I think to some degree, investment firms have sort of convinced themselves that's part of it. And that's why I want to play you a little clip. And I'm not going to tell you who's saying it. I just want you to hear it live. I thought it might be interesting to start with a pretty simple question, which is what do you think ESG means to most people? And what do you think it actually means? ESG to most of the world and the public means social impact in some way, shape or form. 
creating social impact with your dollars or Wall Street, whatever. I think to a subset of investment managers and ESG people who are actually inside the system and know that you have to operate according to fiduciary duty, they have convinced themselves that ESG means higher returns or ideally higher returns and social impact. And the products, because of a lack of any kind of rigor or regulation on what is ESG and what's not and what's an impact product and what's not, has gone in a direction where like everything is being sold as ESG because you know there's a race to the bottom. At some, at some point, if no one is telling you what is really ESG or green or not, as an asset manager, I mean, if you leave them a gray area, you know, they don't leave money on the table, right? Like they're going to move quickly and start occupying that space and realizing that they could just put a green label on most things with a tiny tweak and do it. And so that's led to a space where the majority of products being sold as ESG have little to no measurable impact. And I would argue they endanger capitalism. Okay. Sounds kind of like some kind of Marxist agenda <laughs> at work. That was BlackRock's former global chief investment officer for sustainable investing on ESGs. Oh, and, and he so he this is their former officer. So he left and now he's like, ESGs are kind of bullshit. That's right. And okay. his name is Tariq Fancy. What a name. <laughs> it's a great name. I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm glad that a guy with such a good name seems to like be an okay guy. You know, <laughs> I want to be on Tariq Fancy's side with I, a name like that. He certainly sounds like an okay guy in that particular clip, but he was formerly the chief investment officer at BlackRock for sustainable investing. Well, we all make mistakes. That's true. We, we all make a lifetime's worth of mistakes. I, I had a bad haircut in high school, and, and he worked for BlackRock and made them billions of dollars. It's effectively the Nobody's same thing. perfect. You're right. Nobody is perfect. And, and Tariq Fancy, you know what? We will suspend judgment until we hear even one more clip from Tariq Fancy. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> anyway, all right. So ESG, that it's marketing. It's uh -huh. basically just marketing from top to bottom. It's easy to say that it's somehow environmentally responsible and therefore it makes the world a better place, but that doesn't really hold much water. At the end of the day, it's great for investment firms because they can charge double their fees and people who think that their money is going to work for the environment are happy to put their money into ESG funds. And ESG funds are actually like one of the fastest growing funds in all of the financial sector. <sighs> okay. See, all right. I have... I've got a financial advisor guy who my very well-meaning parents set me up with years ago, and now all of my money is tied up with this guy, and I don't know how to extract it. He seems very nice, but he was like, hey, we just developed these things called socially responsible portfolios. I know you care about that stuff. I could get you one of those. And I was like, oh, perfect, because I was thinking about taking all my money away from you anyway, and now I just don't have to deal with it. So just do this. And now I bet he got a big commission, and I am... My money is not helping anything. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like worse, I don't think. Uh -huh. But your money almost certainly is not like out there on the front lines protesting against big oil. Damn. Sorry, Nicole. Okay. So this is basically a big marketing shell game, but I want to talk more about why ESG ratings are effectively meaningless. Okay. Companies are given ESG scores by ESG rating firms, which are third-party companies mm -hmm. that rate a company based on its ability to stay profitable and respond to risks, not based on how green or friendly to the environment mm -hmm. they are. And basically, ESG rating firms look at all the publicly available information from various companies. They try to parse through, you know, speeches the CEOs have given, memos that they've released, open letters, this kind of thing. They look through all this information and they try to glean whether the company is 
you know, considering whether climate change is going to make a forest fire more likely where their headquarters are located mm-hmm. and are they moving their headquarters? Are they shoring up their supply chains in response to climate change? Are they getting a big boat stuck in the Panama Canal? That's exactly, yeah. Is their board of directors all dudes named John who went to the same high school? And are they all located in low-lying real estate in Miami? That's right, yeah. It's, it's just, it's are these companies looking out for risks in the in these three particular categories. Mm-hmm. I do want to say that ratings firms seem to potentially be trending in the direction of like, does your company actually have a good social reputation? Is your company trying to improve itself based on its own core values? Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it has nothing to do with the actual like long-term sustainability of your company. But at the end of the day, it's a dollars and cents game. And they're just looking for companies that are actually going to be profitable long term. And are they reacting to stimuli to make that a reality? Mm -hmm. That's how rating firms rate companies. Got it. Now, it's completely opaque. There's no oversight. (laughs) Every single ratings firm is proprietary. They don't share all their information. They can't get complete information from the companies. Companies aren't required to disclose very much information. It's another version of that, like, ESG rating firms are looking at the company's, like, Instagram pages to try to figure (laughs) out if they're cool or not. It's just another sort of shell game. And on top of that, corporate executives at individual companies don't have faith in the information they, their own companies, are giving up to the ratings agencies. (laughs) So it sounds like like the ratings just don't mean anything it sounds like it's all just sort of vibes baby it it is primarily vibes this is a quote from an article from harvard business review called esg investing isn't designed to save the planet by kenneth p pucker and andrew king can one person get a normal name up in this piece (laughs) my god andrew king's pretty normal that's true but he had to be paired with kenneth p pucker I tell you, I write Kenneth P. Pucker in a sketch and you would take it out because you'd say no one is named (laughs) Kenneth P. Pucker. Okay, here's the quote. In addition, the data underlying ESG ratings are incomplete, mostly unaudited, and often dated. As a result, even those who are responsible for these data have little faith in the accuracy. According to a recent study, more than 70% of executives surveyed across multiple industries and regions reported that they lack confidence in their own non-financial reporting. Great. <laughs> it's it is sand built on mud, built on a thin layer of granola, and then more sand. So the bottom line here is that a lot of people think of ESG as how green a company is or how woke a company is. <laughs> and the financial sector uses the term ESG to mean how well a company responds to the material risk posed to that company by factors including environment, social, and corporate governance. Okay, okay. There is practically no link between whether a company scores well in the ESG department and whether it's a good company for the planet. Wow.
Hey there, a little inside baseball. We record this very podcast at the Climate Town office. And if you're not familiar with Climate Town, it's a YouTube series we make for as cheaply as possible. And that means schlepping our camera equipment all over New York City. Yes, our backpacks are full, and the gear we reach for every time is peak design. That voice you just heard is Ben Bolt, the executive producer of this podcast and of Climate Town. That's right, Rally. I mean, this is an ad, but we are genuinely loaded with peak design gear, from backpacks to sling bags to camera camera accessories. And by we, I usually just mean Ben. Ben literally has like seven things from Peak Design on during any given shoot. Yeah, really. I mean, they make good stuff. Uh, My freaking phone case from Peak Design. My phone charger on my desk. That's Peak Design too. My out front bike mount that I can put my phone on. Guess what? Peak Design. You know that little tripod we use on Climate Town shoots? The little travel tripod? The little travel tripod. They got organizers. They got straps, clips, duffel bags, everyday bags. And they're not f***ing around. Peak Design gear is guaranteed for life, whether you buy it firsthand or tenth hand. And they can make that kind of commitment and not go broke because they build stuff to last. As my father would say, it's built like a brick shithouse. And now I'm hearing it out loud, that term is a little dated. Peak Design is a certified fair trade B Corp that prides itself on recyclable materials and it lobbies lawmakers in D.C. for environmental legislation. They're also the group who nominated Climate Town to be an environmental partner with 1% for the planet. So double thank you. And they also have been a podcast supporter of ours from day one. And also, also, they just make really good stuff. So go to peakdesign.com slash playbook. That's P-E-A-K design.com slash playbook for 20% off some of our favorite products and a picture of Ben on set dripping with Peak Design gear. I'm literally going to try to put as many pieces of Peak Design gear as I possibly can into one picture. I'm glad we just got health insurance because Ben's back is going to be demoed. But not because the Peak Design stuff is heavy. The other shit that we put inside well, in it. in bulk it's heavy. If you, if you stack enough all... Peak Design stuff. <sighs> yeah, okay. I'm but not saying it's sweet, heavy gear. They got a it's good shoulder gear. strap. It really takes the weight off your it's shoulder. It's going to crush you to death. If that's how I got to go, sayonara. So ESGs aren't even particularly reliable for the thing that they are trying to do, Mm -hmm. but that's not even close to what the public thinks ESGs are doing. They kind of think ESGs are a way to engage in capitalism while also being environmentally, morally, socially friendly, Mm -hmm. which is why your average investor might be a little bit confused to find ExxonMobil Corp on this list. So I'm just going to hand you this list and uh, go ahead and read what that says. Okay, exhibit three, largest 10 constituents of the S&P 500 ESG index. And (laughs) among names like Apple, Inc., Amazon.com, Inc., which I also don't think of as particularly environmentally friendly. Well, they're using less packaging now, Nicole, so they're kind (laughs) of saving the world. Sure, yeah. Um, And then in the number nine spot is ExxonMobil Corp. That's right. Now, if you're the kind of person that assumes ESG probably stands for a company that is environmentally friendly or in some way helping the environment, and then you see ExxonMobil included on this giant ESG fund, it might kind of cause your brain to break just a little bit. (laughs) I can feel it happening right now. It hurts. Yeah, it's very surprising to find ExxonMobil and Amazon and JP Morgan and companies like that on these giant lists of ESG funds. But they're not companies that are good for the environment. These are just companies who, in the opinion of a ratings agency, are reacting to ESG risk. Okay. That's why a company like McDonald's can have a high ESG score despite being one of the largest purchasers of beef, which leads to a ton of emissions, because they're also installing recycling bins in some of their restaurants in Europe, and they're also changing their packaging from plastic to cardboard in order to appease some regulations that are coming out of Europe. 
because they are seeing these regulations come down the pike and they are responding to them, they get that high ESG score. Got it. So for a company like Exxon, mm-hmm. like I would I would consider the the premise of ExxonMobil to be in danger from climate regulations that are going to happen. So how can a company like ExxonMobil, which is for sure going to face a lower demand for oil, mm-hmm. make it onto this list? That is an excellent question, Nicole, and one that can be even excellently answered by Documented, <laughs> which is an investigative watchdog and journalism project that we are very fond of here at Climate Town because they are cranking out internal documents that are just delicious. <laughs> oh, they're as good as a McDonald's hamburger in a cardboard box, to call. <laughs> So in 2020 and 2021, they were doing an investigation into fossil fuel companies by going to petroleum conferences where various fossil fuel groups were attending. And there were always these presentations about ESGs from ESG experts. And the logline was, ESG doesn't have to mean green. You (laughs) oil companies out there, you can improve your ESG score. And still be bad. You guys don't have to be any better than you are right now. Who wants to be good? Boo! That's right. (laughs) No, obviously, that's not how petroleum conferences go. Everyone thinks of themselves as a good person, and they're just delivering energy and blah, 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 whatever. We don't need to get into it. Anyway, so these ESG coaches, it's basically like a, a dating app coach. Like, I'll show you how to arrange your pictures and how to phrase your profile. Take that one of you with the fish off the front. You don't, you don't, that's not gonna get, that's not gonna get you any higher ESG scores. It's not a therapist trying to teach you to be a better person, better for the environment, better oil company, less impactful oil company. It's more like, how do we phrase what you're already doing? How do you project an image that ESG rating firms will see and give you a higher ESG score? What kinds of Mm. buzzwords? Are you doing methane recapture projects? Are you doing carbon capture projects? What are you doing for the environment that you are actively destroying that we can say you're going oh you're pledging net zero you're going carbon neutral those elements were coming together in these conferences to try to coach oil companies into getting a better ESG score and perhaps the best oil company example is ExxonMobil who found themselves on the top 10 list of the uh, S&P 500 ESG firms wow okay so I have so many questions. Uh, so so ExxonMobil was already doing stuff like, um, you know, investing in carbon capture Algae, or whatever. Algae, biofuels, yeah. yeah. Uh, and some guy came in and was like, you know what? That's ESG. My suspicion is that Exxon was already one of the leaders in getting a reasonable ESG score because they were able to point to these little tiny projects mm, they had started it. doing. And also like a pledge. If you pledge to go net zero by a certain amount, that's going to raise your ESG score. Sure. Well, that's like promising I'm going to work out tomorrow. Babe, I promise I'll stop cheating on you with your sister (laughs) at the barbecues. (laughs) Anyway, that was the story that Documented was working on in 2021. They were like ready to go to print. They were like, we got them. And then the culture war started and it popped everything the fuck off and we get quotes like this so in a nutshell here's how it worked wall street got in bed with a bunch of woke millennials together they birthed woke capitalism and of course they put occupy wall street up for adoption you don't even know what that is anymore that's the wall street edition they birthed woke capitalism because we wouldn't let them get an abortion right we forced them it forced birth (laughs) i mean i guess this is for for anybody at home this is vivek ramaswamy who has become a 
frequent contributor to the podcast. It's amazing, and I'm a little worried. It's that becoming a Ramaswamy fan cast. That's true. Yeah, I got. I, I guess if I was gonna give him one note, it would be have a little more faith in the joke that you're trying to do. <laughs> it's not good, but we if you don't sell it, then we know it's then mm-hmm. we know you think it's bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So this is this becomes a culture war and we see it on Fox News, we see it in politics and it's kind of the the point of this episode and I just want to talk about how it became a culture war. How ESGs went from being a boring way to rank companies based on their reactivity to risk to woke capitalists trying to destroy your mom's pension fund not woke capitalists woke communists sorry woke communists who are also capitalists and proud socialists (laughs) worse than the nazis but smart as a whip um all right so the concept of like being a socially conscious corporation maybe kind of starts in the 1980s capitalism is in full swing we're making money hand over fist. We're a go-go 80s Reaganaut horde of Americans. And then there's like, what if we did something good for the planet? Fuck you. We're making money. <laughs> Smash cut to 2004 where we have this open letter from UN Secretary General Kofi Annan who puts out this letter to like 55 of the world's largest financial institutions that are like, hey, let's consider environmental, social, corporate governance maybe in the way you guys are making all that money. And they're like, yeah, maybe, you know, we'll see. And was that the way that we think of ESG, like, hey, to protect worldwide financial markets and the stability of worldwide economies, let's consider the risks? Or is it, let's try to treat the environment and society a little better? I think it's the second one, but it's so aspirational that it doesn't matter. Okay. It's like companies are like, yeah, we'd love to treat the environment a little better. I guess, you know, <laughs> like there's just no no commitments are made. It's like... The idea is kind of percolating and swirling, and it sort of stays percolating and swirling. It's a nice idea, but companies are not going to tank their bottom line Mm -hmm. so that they can try to stop climate change, partially because it's not a good way to make money, partially because it's illegal. Mm -hmm. Because as a company, you have a fiduciary obligation to your shareholders, and you can't really tank their returns because of a theory that you have even if the theory is backed up by every single fucking climate scientist in the world got it this might be derailing a little bit but how dare you nicole (laughs) occasionally you'll see a firm that is like we are an environmental investment Mm. firm Mm. how do those people avoid i mean obviously they want to do well for their clients because that's how the company does well but how do they avoid the kind of fiduciary duty that requires them to invest in these top companies which are all destroying the planet <laughs> right i think they can set number one i think they can set their own guidelines and and mm-hmm. be very clear about the style of investing they're doing mm-hmm. for instance like if you're a stock guy i'm gonna call him bryson because i know my stock guys all all of them love this podcast <laughs> i'm sure your stock guys he's very like supportive he's very he's, the, the reason i can't get my money back from him is because he's so darn nice <laughs> and he i keep says, trying I to swear be like i'll pay you back tomorrow <laughs> I keep trying to be like, hey, I think I would like to take all my money out. And he's like, oh, shucks. <laughs> he's and he's then got I feel suspenders bad. <laughs> and he's like whistling. Yeah. Look, Nicole, get your money out of there. I'm I think trying. that's not a good I think he maybe doesn't have your money anymore, to be totally honest. <laughs> what was your question? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, you could tell Bryson, like, hey, put all of my money in this one company that just feeds donkeys from the zoo. <laughs> okay. I don't know. How does that company make money? Exactly. 
But Bryson <laughs> would tell you like, hey, that's not a good company. Like, <laughs> I think this company, all they do is they take food to the zoo and try to feed it to the donkey. That is inexplicably in the zoo because it's not that rare of an animal. It's a and mission you, I believe in. Exactly. The donkey is hungry. Exactly. He's he, It's his job to advise you, but it's your money. You can have him invested in uh, donkey chow if you want. Okay. Um, and so possibly, I'm and I'm talking way out of school here, but it's possible that these firms that sort of portend to be environmentally focused might be able to get out of their... I'll make money at all costs. I mean, it's possible to lose money. You know, like they they don't guarantee that they're going to make you money. There are worse finance people than other finance people. Mm -hmm. You're not always going to make money, but they are required to do their due diligence and their best to make you that money because that's how you stop them from like picking their own favorite stock or like investing in their own company. You got know, it. Like my, is... my brother's got a donkey chow company. And I think we're going all in on the Donkey Chow Company. There's a second Donkey Chow Company. <laughs> no, it's the first one. Uh, good, because I thought I had cornered the market on that. <laughs> okay, anyway. Yeah, they have to try to make you money. Obviously, you can lose money if you give it to your finance guy. They're not required to be right, but they are required to be able to justify where they put your money mm. as a place that was going to make it the highest return. And they ESG could find. makes it easier for them to justify why they did that because they can be like, this company was taking precautions to not lose money based on ESG factors. Yeah, that's Got exactly it. right. And like trying to be a sustainable, responsible corporation is always in the air a little bit. Like it's obviously it's better to be more sustainable than not. And it's better to be like more respected than not. But at the end of the day, you're trying to make cash. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a it's not a thing that they're trying not to do, but it's just not that critical. Right. Flash forward to 2021. And we get three pretty simultaneous events. Number one, Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock. Mm -hmm. He's the guy we saw in the Laura Ingram clip. That's exactly right. He puts out open letters to the financial world every year, usually a couple every year. Do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. Exactly right. Uh, what's What'd you get for answer number five? You know, these <laughs> sorts of things. He controls $9 trillion worth of capital at BlackRock. He's kind of hot shit in the financial uh -huh. world. And so he puts out these letters and people read the letters. It's kind of like a state of the union of the finance world. Mm -hmm. In 2017, he put out a letter that was like, hey, I'm using more ESG guidance in the way I'm investing. I think that's really smart. I think we should think about climate risk in our investments. These are in his open letters. But then in 2021, because ESG investments contain much fewer fossil fuel stock. Because it's their business fundamentally doesn't respond to the risks, like the existence of their business is the risk. Yeah, you can still get a reasonable ESG score if you're a fossil fuel company, you know how to like work the system, but they're definitely underrepresented in ESG funds. So in 2021, after a decade of fossil fuel companies kind of going boom and bust in the 2010s, mm -hmm. and then the enormous crash of the fossil fuel sector in 2020 due to COVID, if you don't have very many fossil fuels in your portfolio because they didn't score that well on the ESG metrics and you're using ESG metrics for your portfolio, your portfolio is going to do pretty good. And so Larry Fink does a fucking I told you so letter. <laughs> and I would like you to go ahead and read this here. Okay. This is from 2021. During 2020, 81% of a globally representative selection of sustainable indexes outperformed their parent benchmarks. This outperformance was even more pronounced during the first quarter downturn, another instance of sustainable funds resilience that we have seen in prior downturns. 
And the broader array of sustainable investment options will continue to drive investor interest in these funds, as we have seen in 2020. But the story goes deeper. It's not just that broad market ESG indexes are outperforming counterparts. It's that within industries, from automobiles to banks to oil and gas companies, we are seeing another divergence. Companies with better ESG profiles are performing better than their peers, enjoying a, quote, sustainability premium. Okay. So, you know, obviously he's not going to be like, I fucking called it. You know, like that's not the Larry Fink that we know. But if you read between the lines, that's kind of what we're what we're seeing there. Uh It's not clear to me whether Larry Fink truly believes that a company with a higher ESG score is actually doing good for the environment. But I think he's pretty careful to couch all of his terms with like sustainability. What is he? I'm going to go out on a limb and say he probably doesn't care. Yeah, I think that's. I actually don't know. I think he seems to care in speeches that he's giving. He cares in the way a billionaire can care. Right. Yeah. He cares in the way like a human cares about how an ant is progressing along the sidewalk. (laughs) It's like, oh, you're trying to get to over there? Wow, I could help you out, but I got to get to a meeting. (laughs) So good luck. God bless. Oh, I think I lost you. No, I think I think he's um you know everyone's trying to leave a legacy everyone thinks of themselves mm-hmm. as a good person. I think he similarly thinks both those things and he's trying to he is a capitalist and he fucking won capitalism. <laughs> the dude is incredibly rich. He controls that 9 trillion dollar BlackRock fund. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When you have a nine trillion dollar investment fund, <laughs> everything you looks like an capitalism. opportunity, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I think he's he's thinking that you can probably solve sure. this problem with more money. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, there's like no evidence that ESGs perform better or worse than non-ESG investing in the long run. Oh, it's even considering the ESG risk doesn't necessarily mean that the investments do better. Yeah. The only way to discern which investment does better is to cherry pick a time frame. So, for instance, if you pick just the last two years when fossil fuel stocks really rebounded and the war in Ukraine popped off, like one of the only sectors that did super well in that time period was fossil fuels. If you look at just the last two years, yep, ESGs did not do as well. If you pick the previous 13 years when oil did terribly in the 2010s and and tanked in 2020, ESG stocks made you look like a fucking genius investor. Interesting. So it's like... They're not, it's not a woke stock. It's just a slightly different investment strategy that happens to downrank fossil fuels in its portfolios. So like if fossil fuels have done well for this particular series, it does a little worse. If fossil fuels do poorly, it does a little bit better. That's all it is. Is this the kind of thing that we're not really going to know truthfully how successful of an investment strategy it is for many years because it's relatively recent? Yeah, it's possible in the long run that like the particular brand of ESG investing that like BlackRock does is better in the long run. It's possible it's worse in the long run. It's just like not definitely better or worse. Uh And it definitely is not woke (laughs) investing. (laughs) Okay, so that was that's one thing that kind of popped off. Another thing that pops up in 2021 is a group called Engine Number One. They're activist investors, and they have a big lobbying campaign to try to get some board seats on ExxonMobil's board. And despite ExxonMobil spending millions of dollars to try to not let them get a seat on the board, they actually end up getting three seats on ExxonMobil's board. Wow. Yeah. Which, again, is not a majority position on the board. They control nothing. 
And now that they're on ExxonMobil's board, they now have a fiduciary obligation to make Exxon money. So oh, yeah, that's a little bit of a catch twenty two. Yeah, and and as a result, like they haven't really done anything. If I don't know anything about how corporations work, uh, okay. which is becoming rapidly clear in this episode, <laughs> if so, let's say in another world, a hundred percent of these activists became Exxon Mobil's board. Mm-hmm. Could they, the board, be like, we're shutting down Exxon Mobil? I don't think so. I think they could say something like, using this criteria that we have gleaned, we are going to pivot. Exxon Mobil's activity at around 10% per year for the next 10 years. You know, like I think they could slowly, if they controlled Exxon Mobil, I think they could slowly maneuver Exxon toward just being a renewable energy company. Okay. But because Exxon makes so much of its money from fossil fuels uh-huh. and there are so many shareholders that are legally owed returns to the to the extent that the board can guarantee them i think the board's hands are a little bit tied in okay. this and i don't fucking know for real like i this is <laughs> this is my understanding uh-huh. but it could be wrong i sort of suspect that publicly traded companies have a lot fewer options than private companies because they are accountable to shareholders and Got not it. just the board or the ceo got it okay so fossil fuel companies are feeling the heat a little bit. Mm-hmm. They've had a pretty bad financial decade. COVID sort of knocked them down a little bit. And in the big leagues of fossil fuels, ExxonMobil is under attack from these activists, groups that are getting on their board and then doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Then the Fink letter, the State of the Union in the finance world is like, ESGs are good, which means fossil fuel companies are going to have a harder time. This is some of the fundamental bedrock that the fossil fuel industry is built on being shifted around underneath their feet, and it's scaring them. And it kind of touches off in 2021 when a handful of gas and oil companies in Texas, including American billionaire Bud Brigham, (laughs) were not able to get uh, as easy access to financing for their oil and gas projects that they normally got. What was the name of the evil oil guy in the Muppets movie? Oh, I don't know. I saw that in theaters at like a mint text. Tex Richmond. Wow. That's not far off. Yeah. Tex Richmond and Bud Brigham. Yeah. Together at last. (laughs) So we're in 2021. The fossil fuel industry is a little bit scared. There are these Texas oil and gas companies having trouble getting financing for their oil and gas development projects. And this sort of quagmire of right-wing panic touches off a pincer movement of a bunch of right-wing groups, including the Texas Public Policy Foundation, the Heritage Foundation, and... Our number one guy, Leonard Leo, through a group called Teneo Network and Consumers Research. Now, Nicole, do you remember our best friend, Leonard Leo? No. It's totally fine. No, he okay, shouldn't good. I'm be th- famous. <laughs> he shouldn't be a famous you, guy. You phrased that in a way that made it was like, do you remember Al Pacino? Or like, <laughs> uh, no, I don't know who this person. I is. mean, honestly, like by all respects, Leonard Leo should not be a popular figure in any way. However. Sadly, Leonard Leo is the chairman of the board of directors of the Federalist Society. Oh, no. And if you remember the Federalist Society, that's the group that got a ton of new right-wing and ultra-right-wing judges installed, including not one, not two, but three Supreme Court justices under Donald Trump. Man, what a record. It's, it is, uh, in a four-year term to get three justices is insane. Yeah. It's... Uh, it is. It seems like that's a good argument that there's no God. 
<laughs> I'm not saying it. I'm just saying it seems like it. Mm-hmm. But in any case, and those three judges, of course, and Nicole, I'm going to say them, and you're going to say a fun fact about them because okay. you're an informed citizen. Neil Gorsuch. Uh, arch conservative, but like weirdly good on indigenous rights. Very good. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, cries because he likes beer so much. He loves beer. Stop telling him to stop loving beer. <laughs> and then uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, maybe in a religious cult. But Definitely in a religious cult. I, I mean, but like maybe even worse than the way that regular evangelicals are in a religious cult. Mm. Well, that's three for three. Nicole, you win the prize, which is to hear the rest of this podcast. <laughs> All right. So um, they've sort of already got the judiciary mm-hmm. a bit locked up. They've installed a bunch of right-wing judges. But the other two flanks they're going to open up is a legislative flank and an executive flank. Ah, the other branches of government. That's exactly right. And then there's the media, which is the fourth estate. And then there's the deep state. And then there's the fifth element. And then there's the fifth element. Which is heart. That's right. And then there's the sixth sense. Uh Uh-huh. And the- Seventh heaven. (laughs) That's right. And eight is enough. So- yeah. Anyway, um, so in the legislative front, they're going to go with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. All right. So the Texas Public Policy Foundation has the back of the oil and gas industry mm-hmm. in Texas. They both have Texas in their names. They're buddies. OK. And as you can probably hear, the Texas Public Policy Foundation is a foundation in Texas that does public policy. Yeah. Right. They're writing bills. They're writing laws and they're trying to get them passed. Great. This all tracks. So they're recognizing that. There are some banks that are not lending money to Texas oil and gas exploration companies, Mm -hmm. partially because oil and gas companies have lost a lot of money in the past decade. It's kind of a boom and bust industry. Companies go out of business and they declare bankruptcy. It's just not the smartest way to deploy capital. Mm -hmm. So there are banks that are not funding the oil and gas projects that want to be funded. Because they wokely want a guaranteed return. That's right. Because of the, the woke capitalism in that it's capitalism (laughs) with no woke involved in any way that I can really perceive. So the Texas Public Policy Foundation crafts this bill that blacklists banks that use ESG metrics in Texas. Wow. So that law, that law actually passes in Texas. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this Texas law bans its municipalities from doing business with banks that have ESG policies against fossil fuels and firearms. So it's banning its municipalities. So that's like, that's like saying like our public pension funds can't be invested through BlackRock because they use ESG, right? It's not like BlackRock is not allowed to open a storefront in Texas where private Texans can invest that's that's pretty much right but it's not just pensions it's any government entity okay any government entity in texas cannot do business with a number of banks that they've blacklisted Mm -hmm. and they also can't put their money in esg funds okay this law is sort of aimed at punishing banks and companies that are boycotting or downranking fossil fuels. Well, they're not boycotting fossil fuels they're just saying we're not investing in these because they're a bad investment well They're not doing a lot of things, but the law (laughs) thinks or pretends that they are. They're drawing a culture war battle line. So they're saying they're boycotting these industries when really they're just not giving them money at the rates that they wanted to. Okay. So from my perspective as a non-financial genius, Mm -hmm. this just seems to me like the government of Texas is limiting the amount of options they have for their own finances. Nicole, 
I think you are a financial genius because <laughs> that's exactly what fucking happened. And I'm going to hand you an article. This is a this is that same Wharton Business School article where they've analyzed what the law has actually achieved in Texas. And just go ahead and read that bolded paragraph. Um, okay. This is from a paper called Gas, Guns, and Governments, Financial Costs of Anti-ESG Policies. And they say... In their study, the co-authors analyzed data from the first eight months of the law and estimated that Texas cities will pay an additional $303 million to $532 million in interest on $32 billion in bonds. That's right. And, and then the very next sentence is, it's a really substantial increase in borrowing costs. <laughs> yeah. So by eliminating financial institutions because they were woke, because they had ESG offerings or in some way used ESG criteria in their financial dealings. Texas couldn't utilize them financially, uh -huh. which lowered the pool of financial institutions these pension funds could go into, which cost them about a half a billion dollars. Man, that's uh, bad. That's yeah. bad. Yeah. This move to be part of the culture war just drove down the competition for borrowing and made the interest balloon out of control. Oh, yeah, because if there's only like two two banks or two financial institutions that you can borrow from, they can be like, oh, then I guess I can just charge you whatever I want. Yeah, which, by the way, is a pretty fucked thing to do. <laughs> like, none of this system is a positive force. Like, none of this is a woke capitalist system. They're yeah. all just trying to make as much money as they can, even if it means charging a, a school in rural Texas an extra 600K in interest, and they can't build a new auditorium. Well, maybe they should be building oil derricks. Yeah. I mean, there's a new spot for an oil derrick where the auditorium <laughs> was going to be. It's just nonsense. It's just culture war bullshit that's like, intended to rah-rah, throw some red meat to the base, but ends up backfiring. And probably the people responsible will never be held accountable. Cool. It's some classic. Cool, 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 cool. But thank God that capitalism is woke now because, you know, we're really It's cooking. so funny in like a like upsetting way <laughs> that the people who are always complaining about like the government not spending money well are now the people who are responsible for costing their state close to half a billion dollars right. and that is just further evidence for them to be like you can't trust the government with your money right it's yeah like, you did it you're the government exactly yeah <laughs> don't trust the government which is you yes that's right <laughs> correct any other questions <laughs> yeah this is like a group of get your government out of my money die hard anti-regulation <laughs> like no like don't tread on me except for this one group that I don't like what they're doing. You yeah. know, like, let's bring the full weight of the government down on this one group <laughs> and then let us do our own thing for the rest of this. Uh, and this is not the only time a little bit of hypocrisy will be found in this section, Nicole. Wow, I'm shocked. I am also shocked, but let us move on despite our, our fears for being <laughs> overly shocked. So that is the legislative angle. There's also the executive angle with state-level officials. So remember that Leonard Leo fellow mm -hmm. we were just fawning all over previously? <laughs> 
so Leonard Leo, great success getting right-wing judges confirmed, including the three in one term, which is psychotic. And now his next front is to create a sort of federalist society in other parts of American culture, in not society, just the judiciary. federalist society society. That's right. So I'm going to have you read a, uh, a little piece from ProPublica about the Teneo Network. It's called Inside the Private and Confidential Conservative Group that Promises to Crush Liberal Dominance. Um. To confront what he dubbed woke capitalism, Jonathan Bunch, a longtime Leo deputy and now Teneo board member, wrote that the group had brought together a coalition of Teneans. What? Uh, all right. A coalition of Teneans, quote, working with or serving as state attorneys general, state financial officers, state legislators, journalists, media executives, and best in class public affairs professionals, end quote, to launch investigations, hold hearings, pull state investment funds, and publish op-eds and news stories in response to so-called environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, policies at the corporate level. Okay, so they're not even like hiding their plans anymore. Yeah, our existence, our raison d'etre is to oppose ESG. Yeah, we're going to try to crush the liberal majority, not through numbers, because we can't do that, and not through the marketplace of ideas, because who even came up with that? (laughs) (laughs) But by sort of sneakily installing a series of state officials and slanted journalists. High-profile, high-influence people. Yeah, exactly. Although like mid-profile high influence. Yeah, that's actually something that I think that right does really well. They remember that like state attorneys general have a weird amount of power mm-hmm. and they're totally willing to leverage that weird power in a way that's very embarrassing or should be very embarrassing to them, but mm-hmm. they get on Fox News so they feel like a superstar. Mm. Anyway, Leonard Leo funds a group called Consumers Research, and they became the largest sponsor of the State Financial Officers Foundation, Uh which is not a group that I had ever even considered thinking about. (laughs) It's a group of Republican state treasurers. Okay? Okay. I haven't even thought of a state treasurer ever. Yeah. I didn't know what that was. I sort of think of treasurer as like the third best like high school club position it's like if you're like you want to show colleges that you have leadership experience then you become the treasurer of like the honor society or something yeah and you didn't set out trying to be the treasurer (laughs) you just didn't have any public speaking experience and spencer lou could do a (laughs) backflip and it turns out you're not beating a backflip in the in the race for president or vice president. No, so you especially fall. not in honor society. That's the main qualification. That's true. Yeah, I mean, if you're both in the honor society and you can do a backflip, you're like a three-sport athlete. The world athlete. is your oyster. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> in any case, so they're funding these Republican state treasurers, and these Republican state treasurers are running an anti-BlackRock campaign. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're getting media training. They're going on Fox News talking about how... BlackRock is hurting their state and how their BlackRock is woke capitalism mm-hmm. and all these like Vanguard and all these ESG stakeholders. They're all like trying to destroy America, leave American finance to the money. And like traditionally, the right wing had had such a fucking good relationship with finance. The entire finance industry yeah. used to be like that used to be their bread and butter, mm-hmm. right? And now the Republicans are feeling their grip on the financial sector sort uh-huh. of loosen, despite the fact that <laughs> it's not loosening. Like <laughs> ESGs are not what they think they are. But I guess there is a there is a sort of 
worry that if if it they let it go too far, it might slip away from them. So mm-hmm. they're staking their claim now. And of course, you've also got state attorneys general through Leonard Leo's OG group, RAGA, the Republican Attorneys General Association. Mm-hmm. This is another group of state level officials who is going to be able to attack these woke investment firms that are considering ESGs in their metrics like Fidelity and BlackRock. And the way they're going to attack them is with antitrust lawsuits. Mm, Okay. So, Nicole, I know you know this, but you know how Republicans are really, really against corporate consolidation or corporations being considered people. You know how (laughs) the right wing is so against collusion of any kind uh-huh. and they just want all corporations to get broken up and uh-huh. and ha- you know have to actually compete on an open market. Yes. Um that's so that's that's the Republican platform it always has been. Yes. Don't even don't even look into the past cuz it's your all you're going to see is the truth. For any foreign listeners of right. the podcast <laughs> of which I'm sure we have a handful uh Raleigh is dripping with sarcasm right now i gotta say are you saying they're foreign like they don't know american politics or yes i think foreign listeners might actually have a better (laughs) handle on american politics than a lot of the other listeners um okay well in any case anyway uh, republicans love corporations and hate regulations against them however in this one case these attorneys general are making an exception because maybe there are some investment companies that are Joining ESG and sustainable investment alliances that are largely meaningless, but they're, you know, making pledges to maybe consider going net zero and, you know, these sorts of meaningless promises that nonetheless, Republican attorneys general are going to be able to say that's antitrust. You're colluding to fix prices or influence the financial market in some way. And we're going to take you to court. Meanwhile, in my world, all of the streaming services are becoming one <laughs> one streaming service that sucks. Yeah. And nobody's doing anything about it. And unfortunately, like that's kind of actually happening. This is not a meaningful <laughs> lawsuit in any way. This is very much a frivolous lawsuit. This is not real collusion in any meaningful form. So are these antitrust claims legally defensible? Like, are they going to result in an investment firm actually losing a case? Probably not. But these cases are going to be tried in a court, and courts have recently been overpopulated with Leonard Leo's good friends from the Federalist (laughs) Society and three Supreme Court justices. This is going to create a cooling effect on investment firms. And lo and behold, investment firms are actually starting to drop out of these alliances, these like ESG alliances. And I just want you to read this one headline from the Financial Times here. Vanguard spared ESG grilling in Texas after ditching Green Alliance. And the subhead is second largest asset manager dropped from state hearing a week after it quit financial alliance on climate change. Yeah. So even if you are in control of trillions of dollars in assets, you don't want to take the risk, so you just pull yourself out of this ESG alliance. Which didn't mean anything in the first place. That's right. But it just goes to show you like a very squeaky, annoying wheel who has appointed a bunch of right-wing judges gets the grease. Wow.
Okay, so now we've got state treasurers going on Fox News talking about woke capitalism. We've got presidential candidates talking about how ESGs are the devil. They're worse than Nazis. This is turning into a full-blown culture war. Mm -hmm. And the House Republicans hold weeks and weeks of hearings explicitly to blast ESGs. I have your favorite representative and recent theater handjob <laughs> supplier, <laughs> Lauren Boebert. Let's just go ahead and grab that clip here. This is uh, May 10th, 2023. This is on C-SPAN, and it is the uh, House Republican hearings on ESG practices. Considering the Silicon Valley Bank has collapsed and J.P. Morgan Chase bought the bank, has there been any indication that there's been any involvement in ESG policies that uh, that there's been um, while while reestablishing the bank? There may be, but uh, we're, I'm not willing to comment on that from, from based on our. Investigations. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Attorney General Marshall, uh, as the Department of Labor under the Biden administration has considered requiring uh, fiduciaries to consider ESG and employee retirement savings decisions, several Not 401ks <laughs> and thrift savings plans allow managers to use their voting rights on behalf of these retirement accounts. A prime example of this is BlackRock. Uh, a primarily left-wing activist fund that uses its status as a fiduciary for... Okay. Sorry. BlackRock, a uh, primarily left-wing activist fund. BlackRock, $9 trillion in capital ownership. BlackRock, a company that owns 7.1% of ExxonMobil. <laughs> And a untold number of other oil companies. BlackRock. Uh, BlackRock, who's out there funding uh, uh, gender studies, underwater basket weaving majors at liberal arts colleges. BlackRock, who's trying to turn your dogs gay so that they can get them into NYU's theater program. <laughs> it, it, and it just goes on like this for literal weeks it's a it's a series of show trials and this is she this is specifically in response to the fall of the silicon valley bank or she's just bringing that up as part of a their broader investigation into ESG. that's a great question this is just grinding an axe they're trying to say that the fall of silicon valley bank came because they had a couple because more women because they were woke because board. there were yeah. more women on the board i right. remember that they were bad at being a bank because they were too woke not because they were playing it pretty fast and loose with the amount of capital they kept on hand <laughs> it was the women on the board that told them that they could lend out all of the money well, here's the thing women be shopping and i have heard that Nicole. they were shopping with svb's money that's right now nicole uh-huh I got to say, they are obviously trying to turn ESGs into the next CRT, critical race theory, <laughs> or like BLM or whatever. It sort of worked with, with CRT, right? Mm -hmm. It was an empty box. They just filled it with a bunch of bullshit. It sort of worked with like BLM because they were like, no, all lives matter. Okay. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, so black lives included? No, <laughs> not those guys. Blue lives. Cops matter. And then all lives matter. And then if there's time... Chinese lives matter. <laughs> no, because we're spooning them. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. So they're obviously trying to make this a culture war sticking point. They're obviously trying to turn ESGs into their next big album. <laughs> but the notorious ESG. Right. 
Yeah. But it's not catching on with the Republican base. Mm -hmm. Number one, the idea that they want the government to tell financial institutions what they can and can't do with their money is it's not just, a popular tactic brand, with the Republicans. You know, yeah. it's they're all about deregulation, <laughs> and this hearing is all about regulating uh -huh. the financial institutions. It just bumps horribly. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's fucking boring. <laughs> it's like investment banking risk management criteria, and they just cannot sell it. They're yeah. really trying. They got the critical race theory to trend. Out of nowhere, they figured out how to make that work for them. They should have been like, the banks are mad at you for being white. That's right. They really should have done that. And they really tried with woke capitalism, but they had to focus on the E from ESG. And uh -huh. they just like lost a huge opportunity to do like, you walk into a bank. If your name is Brad, they're going to kick you in your little bare butt. <laughs> and if your name is jamal they're gonna give you the bank you know like that <laughs> i think if they had said that they might have made it work but they just couldn't make it work mm -hmm. so in 2021 texas passed their anti-esg bill it cost the people of texas something like half a billion dollars which is a pretty costly way to score a point in a culture war mm -hmm. i suppose at the expense of your constituency which, as far as I understand from politics, is the opposite of what you want to do. <laughs> um, in 2022, an additional 16 states tried to pass ESG bills. In 2023, 157 new bills were introduced in 36 states, and they are deeply unpopular. Mm. Of the over 100 bills that were proposed, only 19 bills appear to have become a law, and six resolutions were passed as of June 22nd. So, like... A deep minority of these bills that they're trying out. And what year is this? This right now it's 2023. <laughs> what year are this you talking is, about? Oh, I'm also talking about as of 2023. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So like these are not that popular of bills because they cost you money. Because they cost you money. They're not in keeping with the like free market values that Republicans espouse. They just don't seem like they're hitting on the level that like yeah. Uh, this library book says the word gay and you're going to turn my son gay kind of <laughs> kind of chance yeah. does. And I know we already talked about Vivek Ramaswamy, but mm -hmm. we got to talk about him one more time. And then yeah. I promise we won't talk about him for the rest well, of the you episode. Can't, you can't say his name three times or he'll show up. Whose name? Vivek Ramaswamy. You shouldn't have said it three times, Nicole. Oh, no. You, should, you conjured all these excellently curated clips of him talking about ESGs <laughs> being the devil's work. Something scary happened. This is really not just a story about woke capitalism. This new monster. It's a story about institutional lying. High-minded drill. The American Revolution. That's really what this ESG issue is all about. That's the real danger of wokeness. <laughs> Sorry about it. Anyway, so Vivek Ramaswamy is so anti-ESG that he started his own- How anti-ESG is he? He's so ESG that he poured McDonald's coffee in his lap to cool off. <laughs> Um, he's so anti-ESG that he started Strive Asset Management as an exclusively anti-ESG fund. So this is ex this is a fund that exclusively does not consider risks to its investment. And it's not it's not even that he's not considering ESGs. It's that he's specifically investing in fossil fuels, which ag again is like even if you even if you think climate change is fake, right? Which I do. Famously, I'm that's why we started the money. The podcast. Uh, when is that money going to get here? I wish I could tell you. Um, but even if you think climate change is fake, like we're going electric. 
Right. The <laughs> like, writing is on the you, wall. You don't want to have all of your money in fossil fuels from a strictly greedy perspective. Right. So Strive Asset Management now controls like a billion dollars in assets and Strive's advisory division is currently an advisor for the state of Indiana's $46 billion pension fund. So way to go, Strive Asset Management. Boy, I'm sorry to any of our listeners who work in the public sector in Indiana. Me too. And I'm double sorry because a recent journalist uncovered that Vivek is charging $4,000 an hour to Indiana for his special personal touch advising. Wow. And now we're kind of coming to the end of 2023. And a lot of this anti-ESG rhetoric is starting to dry up because it's not polling very well with the Republican base. Mm -hmm. And it's just like not that interesting. And it's not winning them any points in the culture war. It wasn't even mentioned in the first Republican presidential debate. Oh, wow. It's just not getting a lot of airtime anymore. But we are revitalizing it on this podcast. Can you fucking imagine if this podcast is the thing that rejuvenated the ESG debate? I mean, honestly, bummer for society, but great for the pod. Great for the pod. We have found a number of things on the pod that are terrible for society, but good for us personally. That's actually- Which makes us the anti-ESG pod, if you think about it. I am thinking about it pretty hard, and that is true. (laughs) So where does that leave ESG? Well, it kind of worked for the Republicans on accident. They were able to just sort of like- find out that if they screamed loud enough and held hearings and just like forced this three letterism down our throats, then investment firms would sort of start backing away from their utilization Mm -hmm. of it. It's not hurting the environment because ESG wasn't really helping the environment, (laughs) but it's also like kind of souring the financial institution world on actual progressive financial policy. Interesting. So because we're talking all this bullshit about ESG, we're not talking about a carbon tax. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about real sustainable regulations that would actually require reporting of emissions or disclosing what you're actually doing. And so it's sort of just cooling off the, the financial world from really considering sustainability in a in a real way do you think my socially conscious portfolio will fix it actually that is actively working to fix it so definitely leave all your money with uh donkey chow (laughs) um i will say it's kind of a smart move to politicize sustainable investing because now like the liberals love sustainable investing. The Republicans hate sustainable investing. So if the Department of Labor or the SEC or something says, hey, we're going to ha- actually have you do emissions disclosures, now that's a political move. Oh. And now it feels charged and like, oh, how can you be making this liberal move when really it's like, no, we want to know how much carbon emissions Chevron is producing. And now it's not clear how much they're actually doing. Great. So even having a unpopular opinion in the minority party in the United States is enough to kind of scare off any progress that was potentially being made in the financial world. Cool. So it's awesome. like they're they're winning for losing, you know? Yeah. Damn. And what a bummer. Yeah. Wow. And it occurs to me that the thing that would actually help ESG work better, mm. which is more complete data that sounds like lib talk to me (laughs) Um, nicole is now harder to obtain and more obscure because of this conversation yeah i mean they lost the battle 
but they've won a different battle <laughs> in that the thing that they say ESG is uh-huh. or like progressive capitalism that like considers the environment over profits mm-hmm. is a thing I actually want to happen. Yes. It's a good, I think it's a good thing, but the fact that they're saying it's the thing that's happening and there's a huge backlash to their saying that draws like an early battle line. They sort of have entrenched themselves earlier on so that the investment firms will be less likely to commit to something like that because they know if they if the fucking like ESG thing they were doing got this kind of response, now they think, oh my God, what kind of response will we get if we're actually sustainable? You might say that they forecasted the risks ahead of time and wow. used that to inform their decisions Wow. Yeah. It's almost like one of the social risks that they should have forecasted was the Leonard Leo factor. Yeah. The the E-S-G-L-L-F. Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly right. And so that's where we're at. Republicans fail upward yet again because investment firms are scared of bullshit. And so they sort of won for losing. So ESGs are not particularly environmentally friendly places to put your money. Mm -hmm. It's just another kind of investing that capitalism does that's very trendy right now because people think it's sort of environmentally friendly. The current American financial system does not really cater to environmental investing because there's no carbon tax. Mm -hmm. The externality of CO2 pollution is not internalized in any way Mm -hmm. because it would impact capitalism pretty seriously. There's no reporting requirement for companies to disclose their emissions. There is a fiduciary obligation to maximize returns. We just don't live in a world where it's easy to invest and help the environment. And this Republican backlash to the ESG boogeyman is actually making that even less likely. Got it. And now, just like every episode, Nicole, we're going to wrap this thing up at a Thanksgiving dinner scenario where we're going to road test some of the stuff we learned. Ooh. So let's um let's tuck ourselves into some mashed potatoes and sweet corn. <laughs> what do you eat? Have you ever eaten Thanksgiving dinner? Yeah, it's like a lot of rice, right? Like a hard toast. <laughs> and uh, everyone is wearing like a big hat. And uh I think this is something else. All right, so we're at Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm going to play your stock guy, Bryson. Oh, cool. Who kind of trapped you into saying you were having a Thanksgiving dinner uh-huh. and then said, oh, after his wife died, he hasn't oh, had God. a good Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> she didn't really die. He's, no wonder he's, I felt guilty about it. Yeah. <laughs> but he was like, he really let the conversation hang on that. Uh, okay. And I think you felt guilty. And he so has guilty. all my money. That's so. right. <laughs> so you invited him, Bryson, okay. to your, and I'm going to play Bryson. Okay, okay. great. Hey, Bryson, I'm so glad you could make it to Thanksgiving dinner. Hey, Nicole. Well, great uh, great mashed potatoes. Thank you. I'm really enjoying them. This is my third bowl. Hey, um, your mom doesn't care about that rug in the kitchen too much, does she? Well, that's why we put it in the kitchen, because we knew it was going to get messy. Okay, good, because I tracked a bunch of mashed potatoes on it while I walked through there. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I stepped in Did you stick some... your feet in the mashed potatoes? No, I, had, I, I loaded up a full plate. Uh-huh. A pound or two of mashed potatoes, easy. Uh-huh. I got spooked by a scary magazine cover, uh-huh. dropped the mashed potatoes, stepped right in it to try to cover it up, uh-huh. spread it around a little bit, let it blend into the floor because you have a mashed potato colored floor. 
And then I tracked it all over the place. <laughs> still, I'm still wearing the shoes with the mashed potatoes. Take on. the shoes off. Uh, I got stinky feet, Nicole. Oh, keep and the I'm shoes on. Very embarrassed. We got dogs. They'll lick up the mashed potatoes. Well, Nicole, let me make it up to you. I know you're really into helping the planet and all that. You got that little, uh, little po- pod card. What is it? Uh, I knew, I knew you listened to the podcast, and that's why I didn't use your real name on it. <laughs> every day, I listen to it every single day. Uh, morning, noon, really. And night. There's only like. Six or seven episodes oh, out, or something. Yeah, yeah. I listen to it. I watch it. I uh, I read Just, it. The whole there's thing. There's nowhere to read or uh, watch I it. I love but all okay. that crap you're doing. Okay. Um. Anyway, I, I know you're into uh, environmentalism uh-huh. and uh, you know uh, sustainableism, mentalism, yep. all that stuff. And uh, I got a great new ESG fund for you. Oh. It has triple the fees, so uh-huh. it's a little of more expensive, it but it's so good for the planet. Oh, it's so good for the planet. Okay. Um, now, so I'll just go ahead and move all your money into there. Now, Bryson, is this going to be like when you really, in real life, signed me up for some sort of life insurance situation, which you have told me is an investment in a way that I don't understand, but I'm pretty sure you made a commission off of it? It's an investment in the, f- the not your life, but the next person who gets the money, that's where the investment okay, is. Okay. It's-, it's it's not like that. It's actually you investing your money, uh-huh. but in it, and the extra bonus is it helps the planet so good. Oh, that's so awesome, Bryson. Thank Um, you. Just some quick questions, just because you're going to charge me a lot of fees. So these ESG funds mean that I'm directly investing into companies that are going to reduce emissions, right? Oh, my no. Um, uh, I haven't ever had to tell somebody this before, but Mm. uh, no, not at all. they're basically just investing in companies that are going to, you know, manage the risk of environmental problems a little better than other companies. Oh, so, got it. Okay, so these are companies that are like reducing people's risk of being affected by climate change. Uh no, also. No, we're just looking at companies that are themselves maintaining profitability despite risks posed to them by climate change. So companies like McDonald's and Marlboro cigarettes. Oh, okay. Those um, both seem, I mean, I'm a vegetarian who hates smoking, so I would like especially to not have my money in those things. You but, could just but, eat french fries. And I do. Okay. Well, then we're on the same page. That doesn't solve the Marlboro <laughs> thing. Oh, what's up? We're still um, talking? Yes, Bryson. Oh, I'm sorry. I got distracted by are you, this Are you billing me for dog. these hours, sure. yeah, by the way? Yeah, of course, of course. God damn it, Bryson. I, from the moment I got in my car to drive over here, I started billing you. We weren't even talking about money at that point. Well, we are now. All right. Look, then I just want to clarify, at the very least, even if I'm investing in stuff like McDonald's, which doesn't fully align with my values, at the very least, I'm not investing into any companies that actively produce fossil fuels, right? Well, unless you think ExxonMobil doesn't actively produce fossil fuels. I very much think they produce fossil fuels. Okay, well then, yes, you are invested in that. Okay, great. But I will say the vast majority of investment dollars that you put into investments have almost no impact on the actual companies you're investing in uh, one way or the other. Was that supposed to make me feel better? Uh, yeah, but now I'm listening to it back in my head, and I guess, I guess not. So you think I should just leave all your money in Donkey Chow, then? (laughs) I'm all in on Donkey Chow. (laughs) 
The Climate Deniers Playbook is hosted by Raleigh Williams, that's me, and me, Nicole Conlin. Our executive producer is Ben Bolt, and our audio producer is Gregory Haddock. Theme music from the wickedly talented Tony Dominic and artwork by Jordan Dahl. Who, yes, okay, is my boyfriend, but that's not why we hired him. We hired him because he's very good at art. And our researchers are Knut Haraldson, James Krugnail, and Carly Rizzuto. Special thanks to Catherine Poole from Climate Nexus, Kelly Mitchell from Documented, and Professor Kelly Shue from the Yale School of Management. They were all incredibly helpful resources in putting this episode together, and we couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much. She E my S till I G. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>